Ashani Mission School's principal raises eyebrows, and Johnson County questions Laura Kelly's statewide mask order. Those topics today on Deep Background. And greetings, you're on Deep Background for July 8th. 2020. Seems like this year has been going on for about 100 years <laughs> at this point. Uh, so we're glad you've been able to join us, and we're glad that uh, that another great reporter is uh, joining us for the podcast. Sarah Ritter, who covers Johnson County uh, stories for The Star, is with us. Sarah, so great to have you on the podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me. And, of course, Derek Donovan, my friend and colleague from the editorial board, is also with us today. Two things to talk to Sarah about. We're going to talk a little bit about the big controversy in Johnson County uh, last week over whether the county needed to uh, reject uh, Laura Kelly's advice on masks and other things and, uh, you know, the status, if you will, of the county's response to COVID-19. But before we get to that, we want to talk to Sarah about her big story in Sunday's I think it was Sunday Star, right, Sarah, about Paul Colwell, uh, a principal at the time, at one time, of the Shawnee Mission Horizons High School, whose uh, record is uh, controversial, to say the very least. Sarah, tell us briefly what the story was about and, and what you were able to discover. Yeah, so like you said, Paul Caldwell was principal of the alternative high school at Shawnee Mission. It's a small high school. There's no assistant principal. So a lot of people said that kind of led to problems where he would make a lot of unilateral decision making. He was there for five years and kind of just the incidents that teachers and staff witnessed kind of kept growing. And it got to a point this past winter where they came to the district with it and filed official complaints with HR, which detailed allegations of bullying and harassing students. Um, harassing students of color, especially making kind of crude and inappropriate comments to female students and staff members, basically racist and sexist comments, um, and a whole list of other things. Yeah. Um, you said, really, a, I think you said toxic culture is what you said in your story. Yeah. It's kind of the broad way to describe it because there are several things that they found issue with that they accused him of. Um, HR did do an investigation. Um, a lot of these things they said being he said, she said, um, they couldn't prove them or they were done years ago. So they didn't, they couldn't find the students or the former employees or whatever the case might've been. They did um, substantiate one claim of sexual harassment, which was the most recent incident at a staff Christmas party where um, they were doing like a secret Santa exchange and the principal gave one teacher a Christmas ornament that had the word balls written on it, which um, the teachers thought was especially strange because a few days before that, he is accused of um, telling a teacher to grow a pair of ovaries whenever she came to him with a complaint. Of course, allegations, it is a little bit he said, she said, um, but so that's the claim actual that the district deemed that was an inappropriate gift that did violate our sexual harassment policy. Right. Um, but you're, just so we're clear, your reporting suggests uh, that, um, that, that, you know, this was not an isolated incident or two. It happened as a pattern, right, Sarah, over several years and that many, many people were aware of it. 
Yeah, that's definitely what I found in my reporting. And I thought, you know, it was interesting because everyone I talked to kind of told me the same exact story and the same sequence of events. They really corroborated the same stories. Um, that not only were they all in emails to HR and also to the school board later after HR didn't do enough, they felt, um, but they also had emails between teachers at the time that these incidents happened saying, hey, this happened. I thought this was inappropriate. What he said to me, do you think I'm overreacting? And so there's so much more that it's not even in the story that I felt did prove that a lot of these things happened. Um, and you're right, it was just a pattern of a lot of things. Sarah, can you talk to anything about the culture of that school being an alternative school? Is there a little bit different relationship among the staff and the students? Are they a little bit more familiar with one another than you might expect in a mainstream high school? Or should we expect about the same type of culture? Yeah, I think that's exactly right. I heard everybody say, you know, it's really like a family. There's like 15 staff members and 120 kids. So it really is small. Everybody knows each other. These are kids, you know, it's not all kids who have criminal records or have problems at home. Some just want to graduate on a different timeline. But a lot of these kids do have trauma in their past. They are there for a reason. They left their home school for a reason. And so you can feel how passionate the teachers there are. They really care about kids who might be at risk or, you know, really are on the edge of possibly dropping out. They do need help. Many of the students there. I mean, I, most Shawnee Mission patrons have no idea that high school probably even exists. But based on what you were able to find, Sarah, and, and the the district could not have been unaware of these concerns for some time, right? I mean, it isn't as if they were just surprised when you called <laughs> a couple of weeks ago and said, hey, I found this out. Don't we get the sense that at some level that other people in the district uh, knew of, a, at least broadly, these allegations? Yeah, I think that's definitely true. And um, I think the first time that they went to human resources was this winter. And so some of these things maybe at a higher district level, they didn't know, but um, these teachers were coming to Principal Paul Caldwell with their concerns. Um, I believe at times they went kind of above him whenever he was not addressing them in the way that they hoped for. Um, so yeah, there's definitely a record of the district being aware of these things. Um, and even before the human resources investigation happened or before they filed their claim, um, these teachers going to human resources and saying, I can't be in this environment anymore. Um, I might consider a transfer for this upcoming year. And, and board members, theoretically new school board members. And so then in March, what happened? He, he got a new job, didn't he? Yeah. So he, the investigation happened. Um, he, this wasn't in the story, but teachers were upset that he was in the building when the investigation was happening. So these teachers were pulled out of their classrooms to go do the HR meeting while he was, you know, next door or nearby. Um, and then they had a meeting with HR where he said, okay, here's, we did the investigation. We did as thoroughly as possible, um, but he's still going to remain your principal and he's still going to remain in the school. And like I mentioned, there's no assistant principal there. And so there's no one they felt to really check him or a second person to go to if he's not doing something right. Plus um, imagine what the teacher's reaction must be. Like they file it, it goes through the investigatory process, and then the district says, in essence, yeah, but he's going to stay. I mean, that, that, that talk about a chilling effect. 
Yeah, and Liz, I got, I obtained a copy of the the audio recording of that meeting, and it really was shocking and dramatic to listen to. And some were crying, and you could just feel how long this process had been for them. Um, and so the HR director said that we're going to send our director of family services to be at this school. So you don't have to talk to Caldwell if you don't want to. He can kind of be there. And that was kind of their temporary fix. And he wasn't supposed to leave the school um, until I think then they sent letters to the school board, put a little bit more pressure. And then Caldwell announced he was going to move to Shawnee Mission West as assistant principal. Yeah. And did we get a sense that the board was doing that or the administration, if you will, of the district was moving him to another school just to try and make everyone happy, sweep this under the rug, maybe, you know, or, or, you know, or was there, you know, at some point a discussion with Paul Colwell that this is inappropriate and, and maybe not acceptable in this district? I don't know. Um, that's yeah. a great question. I would love to have the audio recordings of HR's meeting with Paul Caldwell. I do yeah. not have those. So, you know, I don't know what they told him um, and how that decision was reached. Um, but but the reaction to your story was very immediate. I mean, it wasn't, again, as if the district and the board said, well, well, we had no idea. I mean, they moved fairly quickly to set up this independent investigation, and then there have been the developments this week, too. Yeah. Yeah, so I think a lot of people were shocked at how quickly the district did move. It was actually the same day my story came out that they put out a statement saying they were going to do an outside investigation. And yeah, like you said, the school board members were sent just laundry lists of all these allegations um, and responded with, oh, we can't comment on this because it's personnel matters, which is part of district policy. Um, but like you said, yeah, everybody knew. And so I don't know if they just expected these teachers to come forward and come to the press. Obviously, I gave them time to respond. And so there might have been that week there where they're right, planning right. when the story comes out. But they did respond quickly and now we're moving forward with an investigation. But but he he's not going to West either for now. Well, right now he's on modified duty, which um, the district told me they're still determining what that means and what that will look like. Um you like to think he won't be in the school building. That's what teachers are asking for and students and parents are asking for. Um, but we'll see once principals actually return to schools where they place him and what modified duty actually means and how long that lasts. Yeah. Do we, a couple of final questions, then we'll move on to the other part of our discussion today. But it, do we have any sense, Sarah, uh, and, and in your discussion with administrators, board members, and others, as to whether this is an isolated incident involving this man, or is there a more pervasive cultural problem in the district that we're aware of? I think that teachers and former teachers would tell you that there is a district-wide problem, especially when it comes to teachers coming forward with complaints of discrimination or harassment, maybe students coming forward with complaints as well. Right. Um, and so that's something that Apparently, um, the outside investigator is going to look into the HR process, um, but that's something that, you know, the community is also really pushing for is teachers are afraid to come forward. Teachers are afraid to talk to me for non-controversial stories a lot of the time um, because they don't want their name in the paper um, and possibly risk their job. Right. So I think that's a bigger problem. I think it's also, you know, it's not just Shawnee Mission. This is a national problem in our school system. And shuffling administration and problem teachers around is something that's coming more to light um, nationally. Yeah. I, I, I can say this as a 
graduate of the Shawnee Mission School District and a graduate of Shawnee Mission West many, many years ago. But you always understood, as a student anyway, that the principals and assistant principals and counselors and everyone at that level uh, you know, were fond of joking with students and joking with teachers and saying things that then might have seemed funny, but in the current environment, are clearly inappropriate, and you just get the sense that maybe Paul Colwell never got that memo, uh, and, and maybe to a to an, a you know a grievous fault, but that other people in those buildings may need some updating too. Yeah, it is definitely culture's changing really fast, and you know people always yell about cancel culture, and you know we can't just cancel everybody, and I do think there needs to be education there. Um, but, you know, you do think about these things that Paul Caldwell has done, allegedly, were done yeah. in the past five years. You know, it's not like these things were done 15 years ago. Right. Um, but, yeah, the Shawnee Mission District is definitely coming to terms with a needed change in culture. And how are they treating students and are they treating them equitably? And are they listening to their students of color, which is a growing population in the district? Yeah, no question about it. Okay, great conversation. Great story. We recommend it to everyone. Uh, at KansasCity.com, Sarah Ritter on Paul Colwell. Just Google it. You can find it and uh, and read it. And uh, we appreciate you staying with the story. Okay, let's take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk about the other big story on Sarah's plate, and that is Johnson County and COVID. You're on Deep Background. Shipping can make or break a sale, so optimize how you ship your orders with ShipStation. They make it easy to automate and manage orders no matter how big your business grows. And they might even be able to help reduce shipping and warehouse costs. So optimize and keep up your momentum for growth with ShipStation. Sign up for your free 60-day trial now at ShipStation.com and use the code P-O-D. That's ShipStation.com with the code P-O-D. Hey there, this is Derek Donovan of the Kansas City Star Editorial Board, and we hope you're enjoying the podcast. If you like what you hear, help us support this podcast and the journalism that reporters at The Star do every day by subscribing. There's an easy way for you to do it. Head to kansascity.com background. You'll even get a special discount just for being a deep background listener. By subscribing at that URL, you will get three months of unlimited digital access to The Star for $1.99 total. That's right, you get access to KansasCity.com, the e-edition of the newspaper, our mobile apps, and more for three whole months, and it only costs you $1.99. That's a pretty sweet deal. Plus, you will be supporting journalism that makes a difference in Kansas City. So, go grab your computer or mobile device and head to KansasCity.com background. And hey, thanks for listening. Okay, back on Deep Background. Dave Helling with the STARS Editorial Board. Uh, Derek Donovan with the Editorial Board, your hosts today. And Sarah Ritter, a reporter for the STAR. Uh, we've just chatted a little bit about her big uh, uh, scoop on the Shawnee Mission District. Let's shift gears now, Sarah, if we could. You were also last week on COVID duty in Johnson County. Uh, like all counties, uh, the leadership in Johnson County had a decision to make after Governor Laura Kelly uh, imposed new restrictions in the state based on the explosion, and there's no other way to put it, explosion of COVID cases in the state. Tell us, Take us inside that room. What was the discussion like? What was the decision-making like? I, I know there were lots of you know, witnesses who sort of said, no, we don't want to wear masks, 
And that's really the decision facing the county commission, right? Yeah, it was definitely, um, as my editor put it, it was some July 2nd fireworks. <laughs> um, but it was definitely tense. And I think watching these commission meetings remotely, which I have been, they're now letting people come in, like you said, um, but they have just kind of gotten more tense as each one goes on and you can kind of feel the political divide more and more each meeting. And this one was probably the most dramatic that I've watched. And yeah, about 40 people signed up to speak in person. You think about the people who, you know, usually it's the people who are upset who come to these meetings. So the majority were people who did not want the mandate, um, and were not wearing masks. Um, but yeah, it was basically how every decision has made during the pandemic in Johnson County, where you have three or four who are really against restrictions and really for opening the economy back up. And then you have three or four and there's usually one swing vote in there. Right. Um, Let's explain first for, for yeah. listeners, the, the framework here, Laura Kelly signed an order, what requiring masks, but the state law that enabled that order uh, allowed counties to opt out. Correct. Yeah, exactly. And so um, what I, I spoke with Chairman Ed Eilert um, earlier in the week, and he said, oh, we don't have a meeting this week because of the holiday. We're probably not going to vote on this. Um, but Commissioner Mike Brown called for the meeting. He's been a strong um, opponent of all of these restrictions and mandates. He was very anti the mask mandate. Um, so he called for the meeting. And then it ended up being um, a four to two vote um, where it was him and Commissioner Steve Klicka and um, Commissioner Michael Ashcraft abstained. But do, do we have a sense that COVID cases are an issue in Johnson County? I mean, it's, you know, it's clear Kansas is bouncing back. Give us some sense as to whether or how commissioners saw that. I mean, was the, did that come into it or was it just all politics? Yeah, it was definitely both. And I think some misinformation spread in there as well. Um, no, shocking. <laughs> <laughs> um, before the vote happened, the two health officials in Johnson County gave honestly kind of begged for please, you know, impose this mask mandate because the county is reporting a record number of new COVID cases. It is skyrocketing. Um, yeah, more than at any time during the pandemic. And masks have been proven effective. And we've seen that in different businesses in the Kansas City metro area. Um, and, you know, I think for a while, um, testing was increasing in the county. And so that attributed maybe to the most um, rise in cases. And so that was something that Mike Brown kept pointing out was, well, we're increasing testing a lot, but the health officials are saying, no, we've been at this level of testing for a while. And if you look at the percentage of new cases, it is skyrocketing. It's higher than ever before. And, and, so I and think the other thing is true is those cases are going to be there whether you test or not. I mean, people yeah. are going to get sick and and show up for some, you know, medicine or help from the doctor. Yeah. And testing is still not where it should be and it's still limited. Yeah, um, yeah. So there are still tons of people out there who just can't get a test or just won't go get a test or know that they have it and won't go get a test because right, they're right. well, I'll just stay at home. Right. So yeah, we don't, we still don't even know the full scope of. Um, and, and you would say that the majority of people who testified, uh, Sarah, uh, were actually against the mask mandate, weren't they? Yeah, it was about two to one. Um, and then I was also watching the live stream on Facebook and those comments, which were just blowing up, 
I think those were more 50-50. So I think more people who were opposed actually showed up to the in-person meeting. There were people with signs protesting. Um, this image was shared on social media. One man had a plush shark mask and an American flag. And it was there's a little bit of fanfare. Um, but yeah, it was interesting. Some were just kind of against vaccines in general. And we're talking about that a lot. There were some nurses who were against the mask mandate. It was really interesting. Sarah, one of the things about Johnson County politics for a um, very long time is that a lot of people have enjoyed the fact that it hasn't been super red versus blue, that we haven't had the type of partisan divides that we see on the national stage. But I don't know how close a tab you keep on Fox News, for example, but you can say that uh, for one, Tucker Carlson has gone on a full-on anti-mask uh, campaign now. He told his audience last night, contradicting himself, by the way, from a couple months ago, that masks there have absolutely no scientific backing behind them. There's no reason to do it. And so this has become something that has entered a partisan type of argument that you don't traditionally see at the county level in Johnson County. So how do you think that factors into where we are right now? Yeah, I think that's exactly true. Um, and like I said, kind of tension just keep rising each meeting, which is something that this whole past year before the pandemic hit, I never saw. Um, usually very respectful and um, everyone has kind of their own individual voice. And usually it doesn't feel too partisan influenced, but that's definitely changed um, in the past few months. And I think um, Dave and I talked about this in a previous podcast, but this is kind of, you would expect people to respond to restrictions this way on some level. And I was looking up about the 1918 flu um, pandemic and there was an anti-mask league back then as well. And so I don't think, you know, any of this is new and it makes sense when people are frustrated that their business isn't doing well and that they're losing income. Um, but it is interesting to see that it has definitely become very partisan where you can kind of say, okay, I can, maybe see how this debate is going to go. Um, you know, and it really is driven by people like Mike Brown, who have been just really, really strongly opposed to these things. And it's really changed the dynamic. Yeah, the- I, I, I'm, I must say I'm fascinated by sort of the um, micro politics of this too, because, uh, you know, Laura Kelly early in the pandemic had broad authority to do a lot of things. She closed the schools, she made other decisions and the legislature, tours on the Republican side were very frustrated with that. And so they enacted all these restrictions on her power, including this one, which gives the counties the power to opt out of any of her orders. But what they did politically was also transfer the responsibility, if you will, or the blame from her to the county. You know, now, now people who are mad about the mask order aren't mad at Laura Kelly (laughs) <laughs> you know, they're mad at Michael Brown or Ed Island or whoever. They now have responsibility that she was willing to take for herself three months ago because, you know, who's going – I mean, everybody's mad at, at Laura Kelly for one reason or another who are, you know, people who are concerned about this. And now it's county legislators who are on the hot seat, county commissioners. And I just think that politics is fascinating. I mean, some time ago, Mike Brown could have said, well, don't blame me. It's Laura Kelly. Now you can blame Mike Brown. Yeah. Yeah. I think that is really interesting as well. And even, you know, and everyone says on the Democratic commissioners and the Republicans say, we want local control. We're happy to have this authority. 
but it does come with that added pressure of now, you know, you kind of have this local hotbed of everyone yelling at each other. And even before, you know, the stay at home orders, those were issued by the health officer, the county health Correct. officer. Correct. Um, and so this was really the first, if I'm not mistaken, the first vote that the county board had to issue restrictions. So that's something new as well, even yeah. on the local level. Did you get the sense that there was any pressure or any feeling in Johnson County that, hey, Wyandotte County is doing this, Kansas City is doing this, Jackson County is doing this, you know, we need to sort of keep up with the other metro areas so that there's a united uh, front on, on masking? You know, we've talked about this before that at the start of the pandemic, that really was the message of we should all be doing everything in unison. And they did kind of start that way. And that's kind of gone away. Um, before Kelly issued the statewide mandate, Johnson County was not going to issue a mask mandate. And so that message was I could not find it in any um, one I spoke with. Yeah. Um, and then, of course, Kelly came and things changed a couple of days later. Um, and so now they are in unison with Kansas City and everybody else. But, yeah, it was it was kind of an interesting decision to me that they were not going to issue their own mandate, despite Wyandotte and Kansas City and everyone else locally doing it when they do have cases rising faster than ever. I'm curious in your anecdotal uh, reporting, Sarah, how many people percentage wise would you say you see out and about wearing a mask right now? I live in KCMO and I was shocked. I did my weekly grocery run the other day and it was, I would think, 100% compliance in the store that I was in. And, you know, when, when you're in downtown Overland Park or Target or these places, are people wearing the masks? That's interesting. Yeah, because Kansas City, in my experience, was not like that um, a couple months ago. Um, I think it depends on where you shop and where you go to some extent. Um, and I have not been out shopping or gone to get groceries since the mask mandate was put in effect. So oh, I need to go out this week and see how many people are following it. Before, you know, maybe it's 50-50, maybe a little bit less than that of people wearing masks when I would go to Target or something like that. A lot of people were not, but when I went to a health food store, more people were. I don't know. Um so it's interesting. And I've already gotten, you know, some businesses and some residents emailing me saying this business isn't going to enforce masks. Right. This Walmart isn't going to do it. So we'll see if businesses comply or really. Well, enforce of course, that's the one of the interesting things uh, about this entire controversy is mask orders are basically unenforceable. They're not going to send police into, you know, schools and or schools you know, businesses and grocery stores and start arresting people who don't have masks. There's just not going to be a broad enforcement mechanism. It's much more about the message one way or another that a jurisdiction is sending that either we think this uh, disease is so threatening that we need to take extraordinary steps or the opposite, the Mike Brown faction, which is that this isn't that serious and we need freedom, what, however you decide. That's I mean, that's almost a recipe, isn't it, for politicizing a decision like this? Because it's so symbolic. Yeah. And that was really the main factor um, that I heard from people who were against the mask mandate. was saying, well, how are we going to enforce it? We shouldn't impose something that we can't enforce. Um, and it really is going to be education-based. And so we'll see if that works and if that's yeah. effective. I mean, I've told you, what I've said to people is, you know, the speed limit is 35 miles an hour. Well, there aren't police on the street at all times. You just assume people are going to follow that because there's a safety benefit from driving the speed limit. And it's very similar on masks. 
you can't enforce it on every street corner, but there is a broad community safety benefit. And again, what you hear on the other side is, yeah, but that benefit is not worth the cost of surrendering freedom or your own, your own liberty interests, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's exactly right. And you have to think about, are you infringing on someone else's freedom to be able to go out and shop and do the things they need to do if you're risking their public safety? And, you know, it's not just an individual freedom like we like to think in America. Um, It really is the greater good that at least public health officials are trying to get people to think about. Uh, final question for me, anyway. Do we, what, what's the time frame on all of this, Sarah? Do we know? I mean, do we have to revisit this issue soon? That'll all, yeah, we'll have to watch and see. Right now, it's open-ended. Um, you know, schools are planning to reopen uh-huh. in August, which is a whole different podcast. That's six but, weeks away. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and so we'll see if this mask mandate lasts until then, and if kids going to school have to wear masks. Um, yeah, there it's open ended right now. As as long as um, in Johnson County, I'm not sure in other counties if they've put yeah. limits on it. Well, that's a subject for another podcast: the schools, because I've I've said and believe that's the main story in our region for the next six weeks is how in the hell are we going to pull this off? So, Sarah Ritter, th- uh, Ritter, thank you so much for joining us. Two great stories, two important stories in Johnson County, and you've done a great job on both of them. So thanks for being with us. Uh, yeah, Derek Donovan, you. you bet. And Derek Donovan, again, as always, thank you for helping and producing and engineering and doing all the technical stuff as well as being part of the conversation. Thank you. You bet. And I'm Dave Helling. You've been on Deep Background. Thank you.